You're listening to Two Sides of Phi, a podcast that follows two lifelong friends as they seek financial independence and to retire early. I'm Eric, and I'm joined by my friend Jason, who reached Phi in 2020. And this is our story. One of the consistent things about the look and feel of the show from the very beginning has been at the start of every episode, you put our names uh, below each of our pictures, and then you also put our current phi date, mine was 2020, and your projected one, which is 2024. And, you know, you've made allusions a couple times over this year to, you know, based on market conditions, maybe that needs to change. But then the last time we got together on this call, you'd said something very different at the end when we were talking about what we might discuss in our next episode. What was that? I think I just alluded to the fact that our phi date is definitely changing. Um, and actually, I hadn't picked up on the fact that I, I actually have to change it on our uh, intro slide there. But yeah, it's it's inevitable, I think, Jay, based on yeah. what I'm looking at. You know, I try not to look at my portfolio very often, especially yeah. now. And that's based on your recommendation and also for my own sanity and mental health. Uh, but, if you know, I went in there and looked at it today and the portfolio is it's down 18 percent. Um, you know, if I take into account all of my contributions for the year and it's that's a significant change. Um, and yeah. of course, you know, to take that kind of a loss and try and get back up to, you know, where we were before, <laughs> I got to get 36% just to, to get where I was before. Right. And I know there's like all kinds of dollar cost averaging and I'm buying shares at discounted rates. And, but you know, I mean, the simple math of it is we did the projections out early this year when things were looking much different in the market. And, you know, just to get to our fine number, we had two years of aggressive savings. And as everyone knows, the portfolio's taken a big hit. And so I guess part of this, my idea for the conversation was to try and frame it up for people who might be in a similar situation to Laura and I, which is you're looking at a FI date that you looked like it was on the horizon and now it's like crept back over the horizon. Like it's not even visible anymore. Yeah. It's, uh, I have to admit, I've, I've been thinking about this all week and, uh, on one hand, I'm hundred percent with you. And it's like, this is a great topic. Not great for you. I mean, as a, as a topic itself, it's very relevant to so many people. If you look at the fire and financial independence subreddits, the daily threads have people, talking about this very thing every single day. And so others are clearly thinking about it. Um, but on the, on the other hand, it's also, you know, it's got to be super emotional um, because this is something you've been planning for, doing a lot of work. Of course, you know, you're a very intelligent person, you and your wife. You know that nothing is guaranteed. The market returns aren't linear as much <laughs> as we like to, you know, yeah. draw them that way. But that doesn't make it feel any better when you look at your portfolio and you, you start thinking about, oh, these aren't short-term blips perhaps there are fundamental changes that we need to sort of let play out before things will stabilize and hit that big increase that you, you know, rightfully talk about is, you know, will come. The problem is, you know, I know psychologically the right thing to do is not sell assets in a down market and That's right. I'm fine with it. You know, Laura and I have, we've weathered the storms before, but it was at a time when we weren't looking at the portfolio. We were That's right. happy to be buying, you know, shares at a reduced price. And now when you're trying to map out something that you had projected to be 24 months in the future, how do you even do the math on that anymore? I mean, 
it's and it's something I want to bring Laura onto the show and talk about. It's not real okay. real fair for me to talk about her opinions, you know, in her absence. But you know, her what she said to me is, "We're doing what we can. We're executing on the plan that we have and have always had." And yeah, it's tough to watch money invested feel like it's being evaporated. But you know, what else are we gonna do? Stop stop investing. I mean, she, she said this morning, she's like, I was prepping for this conversation a little bit. She's like, Oh, maybe we should just, you know, pile up cash instead of, you know, throw it in the market. Now, maybe we should be buying, you know, one year treasury bills, uh, you know, and like, we know what the fundamental right thing to do is just keep, keep buying into our asset allocation the way we always have been. And, you know, have faith and confidence that it will return, but it's, I'm good. Just going to be honest, man. It's pretty hard to do when, <laughs> I thought I was like 24 months away, you know, and now I'm not, I don't like, I don't know what, what it is now. It's it's pretty demoralizing. (laughs) I, yeah, I can only imagine, uh, you know, I feel like I was very lucky, right? I mean, I did the things that we're supposed to do. I started to build a cash buffer and I started to build a bond position. And by the time I pulled the trigger on, you know, my last day of work, I had a decent position in place in those two things, but there's no question that if I think back what that number was and what I was trying to get to, if we had had the kinds of drops we had had in the last year, in calendar year 22, I wouldn't have stopped working. I would have been faced with the same decision. So it feels like I'm sitting here in a position of privilege to be able to even have this conversation with you because I did get over the line. So that feels a little awkward, to be perfectly honest. Uh, because I'm not on the other side of it. Um, so I can only imagine emotionally what that would feel like. Um, I certainly can't put myself in your shoes. Um, so that admittedly does feel a little weird. So I'll try to do my best to be as thoughtful as I can and not flip. And Yeah, I, I don't know what to say other than like it's how do you even plan? I, I mean, yeah. I, I'd like to not take any more client work on, but what? Realistically, if I, if it's not two years and it's more like four or five years, then I have to take on more client work and I have to take that on now. I mean, I'm getting a ton of inquiries and okay. So do I just take another one and commit myself like another project commitment is three years. And you know, for my wife, it's, you know, I mean, we're looking at all the options. We're looking at, okay, how do we earn more then? Like maybe that's, what, right. Maybe we need to look at other options. Maybe we need to move, you know, like, I don't know what that looks like, but it, it feels like a big, um, kind of upending <laughs> of yeah. things in a way. And I mean, we're tied here for my youngest is 16 now, so he's a junior, so he's going to be heading off to college in a little bit. And so I think we're, he's going to wants to finish out school here. And I think that makes sense. Um, yeah. but in terms of commitments to work. And, you know, I mean, if Florida were takes, takes like a remote position or work somewhere else, or, I mean, that's an option, you know, and uh, it's sure. just, it's like all the things we hadn't really planned on <laughs> that we thought we were in kind of cruise control on cruise right. control. And it turns out we're not really. And I, I mean, in some ways I wish I had other people that I could commiserate with that are in the similar position. Cause you know, one attitude to take would just be to say, all right, throw your head down and understand that the average bear market is, you know, 13 to 18 months and, you know, pick your head up again at that point and look and see where you are. But, you know, we've seen long recoveries. 
mean, yeah, it's not, not every recovery is like 2020, you know, the, of course the COVID crash there where it's just a, you know, V shaped recovery. It's sometimes they're protracted events. Right. I was saying to Laura, I was like, I was kind of glad I didn't find the fire movement like 10 or 15 years out. Cause I'm not sure it'd have the, <laughs> the stamina to kind of look at all the, you know, project out so far in the future. I mean, yeah. you know, we happened to hit it at a time when the, there was a massive bull market and we were just watching the portfolio go up and it just all felt like easy money. And, yeah. you know, it felt like the plan was going to continue to execute. And in fact, our conservative plan was, you know, Hey, we're not going to count on any growth to the portfolio. We're just going to rely on contributions to get us there. And the real right. conservative plan should have been, well, you should have counted on, you know, a two year bear market and a 20% portfolio loss. You know, I mean, that's, that would have been the conservative thing to plan for, but I just, I didn't. Yeah. And it's, you know, there's, there's no right answer here. Uh, and I, I suspect maybe this is just highlighting some of the differences between how many people in the fire movement versus people who are retiring at a traditional retirement age may think about the run up to retirement if they're if they're even in a position fortunate enough to be thinking about that level of planning of course some people are forced into retirement based on you know disability or aging out of a profession but you know I'm thinking about this you know traditional thoughts of you know how many you know years of bonds or cash to have in the kind of more traditional retirement age that's simply not the strategy that many people are historically talking about in the fire movement. I mean, yes, a lot of people talk about, well, as they cross the line, uh, you know, whether it's a um, you know, rising equity glide path or starting to ladder treasuries and things like that, there are some mechanisms you can use. Not everybody uses them clearly. Some people, frankly, just got lucky um, based on the timing of their early retirement, but that's just not the common case. And so that does change the calculus a little bit, and it certainly adds a risk. Right. Especially in this period, the immediate two two, you know, let's just call it two or three years before your hopeful date and the next few years after it. Right. When retirement date risk turns into sequence of returns risk. Um, it's one thing I've been thinking about. But but, you know, the last thing you said does make me kind of rewind a couple minutes in our conversation and, and wonder mechanistically, what is the best thing for you to do? I mean, on one hand. I totally take your point about, you know, the, maybe it's uh, the most conservative way is to continue to invest it exactly the way you were, because when the recovery comes, you'll benefit from it more due to the rising prices and you buying more shares at lower prices. On the other hand, you know, is there merit to what Laura suggested, you know, in terms of a cash position, in terms of a, you know, a treasury ladder or something like that, because at least then you have some surety not that anything involving inflation rate is sure, but more assurity. Uh, I don't know mathematically modeling that out, how that works. Maybe you've done that already. I don't know where you are in that thought process, but what does that kind of make you think about? You know, as I look at holding cash versus holding short-term treasuries versus buying stocks, of those three things, you know, if I if I look historically how... Yeah, equities have recovered from bear markets. That seems to be the mathematically more optimal thing to do. But it doesn't mean that I couldn't hold the short-term treasuries and, you know, when they come due, throw those into stocks. You know, at that, mm -hmm. at that point, I mean, I, I don't know. It's all it's all timing the market to me. It just seems like 
isn't it? I mean, <laughs> isn't that what we try know. to avoid? Is- I, I thought we try to avoid that as much as we possibly can because you want to set an allocation based on what you are, what you're investing beliefs are. I mean, I just, sure. I don't see the, the higher interest rates as being a long-term, you know, stable position of, of sure. the US government. Yeah. There it's, we have to get inflation under control and that's pretty clear. The feds policy statement is like, uh, we're going to keep these up as long as it takes to return inflation down to, you know, what we can right. consider to be acceptable. Right. I don't know if that's a year. I don't know if that's two years. I don't know if it's the economy starts going in the tank, if they're going to start cutting rates to me, I don't know. If, I mean, right. It's just, right. Yeah. None of us have a crystal ball on that for sure. Right. So, I mean, building a cash position doesn't, that's not something I would have been doing at this phase anyway. Like I, cash position was going to be the final year. Right. But I'm not, I don't even, I mean, if I'm five years out, I'm, I'm sure as heck don't want to be buying. I don't want to be holding cash. Mm-hmm. I mean, does that make sense? Well, yeah, I guess, you know, Naturally, for reasons we've explained before, we don't go super deep into the precise numbers of our portfolios and our expected expenses, right? But on the same note, you know, if you have a couple of years, let's say, of bonds already, I forget kind of how you've described it, but your portfolio is still 20%, 20% bonds, Yep. right? And that's total bond fund, I believe, and treasuries. Yep. So you've got that. My question for you would be, you know, if you had that plus several years of cash, how much more confident would you be feeling right now? Is it only 10% more confident because your equity portion has dropped by X percent? So it wouldn't actually change anything. You know, I was just kind of thought exercise without any spreadsheets. If you had a higher amount of cash and, you know, short, you know, and short term, you know, bills and bonds, would that change at all how you were feeling as you go forward and, you know, we await the market to come back up, then you're ready with that runway. It's just a thought exercise. Yeah, I guess I dismissed Laura's idea out of hand because I thought, okay, well, any, you know, cash that I'm holding, I'm losing out to inflation. It's hard to know what the right thing to do is. And I feel like I've made a couple of moves recently based on my gut that have not been optimal. We'll just say that, you know, I mean, I moved out of some of my bond position and and heavier into equities and the market continued to drop. And, you know, is that the end of the world? No, no, it's not. It's. It was a, I moved to 10% of the allocation over, you know, and, you know, Karsten's advice on that was like, hey, you could try it. And, you know, if the market continues to drop, then, you know, if you only do a portion of it, you won't have lost as much as you could have if you did it all at once or did a much larger portion. Um, and if the market goes up, then, you know, you probably did the right thing. So cool. Right. Good on you. Um, and so I've, I feel like there was a way to kind of mitigate that, the, the risk of that. I, d- I just don't know that holding more cash is gonna make me feel better. I don't think it's gonna change how I feel about the timeline because the number is the number. Hey, Eric here with Two Sides of Fi, checking in with a quick request. Jason and I love making this show and sharing our conversations, but we need your help spreading the word. The best way to do that is to give us a quick rating and review on your podcast app of choice. And if you know someone on the Fi path, please hit that share button on your favorite episode. Every little bit helps. Thanks. I mean, that's the other thing that Laura and I talked about. It's like, okay, well, do we just say the date is a hard and fast date and we mm. change the number? Because if you you look at some of the, you know, especially Karsten's toolbox calculator, retiring in a bear market, you know, you can withdraw at a higher percentage. And for us, we're setting our number based on a withdrawal rate, you know, a fail-safe withdrawal rate, and that's correlated to an annual spend. And we're both like, we don't want to change the annual spend. 
and I don't, and that's important. I'm not looking to, and I'm not looking to ramp up the risk factor by increasing withdrawal rate on day one of the retirement. (laughs) Like that just doesn't feel fundamentally sound to me. So no, both of things sound very intelligent to me, frankly, because I, I, I suspect and I've seen some comments suggesting this. I think no one's really copped to this overtly, because probably because it's a pretty scary position to put out there. Just cutting their number, saying, <laughs> "Well, I'm going to spend less, and that's going to be okay. Um, <laughs> you know, it's going to be all right. Or you know, maybe I'll adjust my longevity predictions. I, I, maybe I won't make it till 90. I'll just I'll just kind of start using 80 <laughs> as my longevity number. And you know, that's it's like it kind of you know funny when you say it like that, but it's a little bit scary to imagine somebody taking those steps and then stepping over the line and having you know almost immediate regret that their budget isn't yeah. what it actually needs to be. So I, I mean, it feels I respect- desperate to me. It feels yeah, it's it like is. And it I- reeks of desperation rather than calculation. It's not a calculated plan that I, like I mean, that. we, we yeah. planned one of the reasons we set this kind of FI plan in place was so that we could look at it and kind of groom it over time and, and refine it. Not, not so that we could chip away at it. And, right, and right. you know, we, you make those plans in good times, hopefully. And when you revisit them, you have to have the fortitude to say yes. that that is the kind of life that we are projecting for ourselves, not to try and like, Oh, well, maybe we don't have to take four vacations a year or eight, whatever it is, That's right. you know? And I guess the hard part for me right now, Jay, is like, it feels like every dollar has a job and, you know, we have a pretty aggressive savings rate and yeah, you do. now we're, we're taking that two year timeline and maybe making it a five year timeline, let's just say, um, you know, and can I keep that up? You know, this kind of forced scarcity for that long. It just feels like when we talked to um, Doc G on our recent episode, yeah. he's talking about this concept of, you know, YOLO, you know, you only live once versus deferred gratification. And exactly. I feel like there's a lot of deferred gratification happening right now. And it feels okay when you can put a set limit on the time, but when the time bleeds off beyond the horizon, it doesn't feel good anymore. And, and so I guess maybe, I don't know how to address that other than just, okay, back off on the savings, you know, just, okay. You, you were doing an aggressive savings goal because you thought you could meet this particular time horizon and you were willing to sacrifice some life for that. Um, but now that the time horizon is more indefinite, maybe you need to start pulling back in some of the, the, you know, living aspects of the budget a little bit closer and yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's sort of that more towards that thinking that, that Fritz Gilbert kind of shared with us about, you know, well, if I had, you know, been more aggressive in savings versus spending, I could have probably retired my early forties, but instead I elected to, you know, do the extra vacation to do the whatever. And, you know, and that, in that case, I waited till after I was 50. Um, I, that, I think that's a very different calculus to be talking about much earlier and have that be your stated plan versus where you are saying, Hey, well, this was the flag and I had planted in the sand in 2024. And now I'm faced with, well, knowing it's going to be out further or believing it's going to be out further anyhow, based on current math, do I potentially push it even further? Because, you know, we should live a little more. And hell, there's a lot of merit to that idea. Well, here's another idea. <laughs> we could just keep that date 
and just not draw down on the portfolio. Right. Yeah. I mean, we could, we could wait until that it coasts up. We could be barista fire, right? We could just continue to draw on passive earnings of the business. You know, we could step into something new together. Um, I was going to say, what if, I mean, I know this is, I don't know. I don't know how long you've been thinking you might have to push the date out this far. You've, you know, you've shared a few thoughts with me on this and, and some of those, I think most of those on camera, but is there some kind of pivot you can do in your business or something entirely new, um, that could enable exactly what you just said? Yep. It's possible. I mean, Am I excited about it? I don't know. It's just, you know, when you set a plan and you're like, oh, yeah. I'm, this is my plan, man. I love this plan. <laughs> yeah. And then you just have to be, you know, you have to remain flexible. In a, in, and I, I am not always the most flexible person um, in spite of we what get along. The, the business requires of me sometimes. Um, yeah. And, but I, I think when I find myself getting upset or frustrated, I... I definitely default to that idea of, you know, well, what are 10 different ways I could do this? You know, yeah. um, if I am only seeing one way, there's, there's more than one way here. Yeah. And I'd be foolish to not consider other options. Um, and so we definitely talked about the kind of barista fire thing. Here's, here's my problem with that, like reinventing the business or, you know, Laura stepping away from what she's doing is it feels equally foolhardy to be in the earning position that both of us are in and walk away from that when, okay, maybe it's a year or two more. We have our health insurance covered. We have, you know, we know what is going to come in from Laura's position. There's a lot of comfort in knowing the bounds of, of what's going to come in there. And so is it, is it, am I just being kind of whiny by saying, well, it's not the exact date that I want, you know, instead, and it's not optimal. I could just go for the compromise which is to kind of stay the course, you know, like, okay, we're not going to, neither of us are going to step back into positions in my business or her field of study of, you know, her profession where we're going to be back up at that level ever again, probably. So once we walk away, that's pretty much it. I think what you need to do or what I would recommend you do is for you and Laura to sit down and think about those different options and the pluses and minuses of each and really come to some decisions about why the one option is the one that makes the most sense to you. Because there's different levels of attractiveness for each and different trade-offs in terms of time, dollars, and risk. It's difficult when you have something that uh, is a longer time horizon. Like let's say it's a grant, yeah. right? You know? Yep. I mean, you got to write, you're writing grants now for something that's going to, for work that's going to be happening in the next two or three years. Yeah. Um, taking out a client today, I won't be done with them for another three years. So who knows? Maybe more. I don't know how you make those decisions. I mean, even, yeah. even if you do a, a plus minus cost benefit analysis, like it's just, it's very hard to do. That's why I, I said to Laura, I was like, you know, if there was, if there was an easy answer here, we'd, yeah. we'd have it. And, you have it. And, um, I, I am not someone who's real comfortable with things being fluid, like long term. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I get that. Me I too. I want to know what's coming in and what, what am I committing to? And I mean, I guess maybe part of what you've encouraged me to do is to kind of look at what makes me happy and yeah. what I can continue doing 
long-term and I've had this business now almost 10 years. And when you do anything for 10 years, of course it's changed over time, but when you do anything for 10 years, you, you start looking at it like, what else could this be? What else could I do? Right, here? right, exactly. <laughs> for someone who is in this position, what do you do? You, do you change the plan every time you get like way far away? You know, if I'm, I'm like looking online, you know, I'm not yeah. on Reddit and elsewhere. And, you know, I come across this white coat investor post, which says, you know, are you getting further away from financial independence? I'm like, yes, yes, yeah. I am. And yeah. he gives three reasons that people get away from further away from it. First one, portfolio loss. Yes, that's where I'm at. Right. Yeah, okay. You are. And then the other two are things which aren't, they don't impact me. You know, like I don't have lifestyle creep. That, right. That's not a real thing for me right now. In fact, it's nope. just, you know, I'm like reducing lifestyle, which is exactly. even worse. And then, you know, the other thing is a loss in income. And I, like you said, I'm privileged to not be in that position. But I mean, of those three things, you, which one can you control? <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's just put your head down and, and stop talking about it and ignore it. Um, but I, being a planner by nature, I can't it's very hard for me to ignore it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I, I think there's, there's no denying the emotional aspect of doing all the work to set yourself up for any achievement, any milestone, and then factors outside of your control coming in to say, well, guess what? That timing isn't going to work out the way you thought it would. There, I mean, nobody can deny that. Yes. Somebody could come in and say, well, Hey, remember, you know, past performance is no indication of future returns. It's all well and good to say, if I start here, I should get here by this date, but it's not guaranteed. And, and you, of course, knew that and talked about it often, but that doesn't take away the emotional reality of, well, guess what? Scenario B <laughs> is happening presently yep. and it sucks. That's, that's reality. And, and the uncertainty just, to be denied. it just deepens with, you know, the further you get into it and because every recession they're all different. They're all different. You don't know how it's going to end. You don't know how long it's going to last. And, you know, I mean, we're all in this together. It's, this is not a unique problem for me to have. So I don't want to, you know, pretend like I'm a special snowflake here. But it is. Sure. If, if you're someone who is looking at a five date, like I think a lot of our viewers are yeah. in the near future, you know, you're prepping and planning and you're excited and gung ho for it. And then, you know, you can't plan for that boy, that's, it's unsettling if nothing else. And if you're in a position where you're like, really, like I read some comments on that latest video and people are like, oh, my job's just a job. I can't wait to be done. I can't wait to walk out that door. And if I'm that person, right. I'm really disappointed, you know, for I sure. Mean, I, I love what I do and I love the creative work that I have. And that, like those, there are aspects of what I do. And I know Laura is the same way that like, I don't want to walk away from, I'm going to have a hard time leaving. Um, and so for the person who's like, just hate this position and they got to grind it out another two to four year or five years when they had planned on reaching that next yeah. year or the following year, I feel especially bad for them. I don't like, for I sure. wouldn't know how to advise someone like that. <laughs> you know, what would you say to someone like that? I mean, this is where I struggle, Eric, when I hear, you know, we're back to that messy middle conversation again. I've had conversations with people who are like, you know, I'm well compensated for my job, but I can't stand it. I just feel like I have to grind this out for the next 10 years. Yeah. I already don't know what to say to that person. I really don't. Uh, Find another job? Yeah. I mean, I do say that. 
Um, but That's not easy either, man. And no, especially if it's a not. recession and yeah, and depending on where you live, there you may live? not right. be you know access to you know other companies that do the same thing you do. You may have to move, but you can't move because you've got family you need to be near yeah. and take care of. So to have any date get pushed out, um, even if it was never a guarantee in the first place, it doesn't matter. The reality is, this change has happened and it's huge. Hey, Eric here with Two Sides of Fi. If you've been listening to Jason and I on the podcast, you may not be aware that we also have a YouTube channel. And quite often, we have supporting graphics, charts, information, and even a few outtakes that don't fit well in an audio format. So if you're into that kind of thing, you can find us on YouTube at Two Sides of Fi. The things you've just said about all the things about your job and your career and your business that you love, I do keep coming back to this idea of, how do we maintain those things for you? But maybe there's a different chapter in your work that you enjoy tremendously or end up you know, developing into a very enjoyable thing over the next few years that allows you, maybe it's even a more of a glide path um, benefit than you would guess going into it. And that's really gonna help your transition, right? Is there an opportunity here? I know I'm not presenting a solution, it's only a concept, but is there something that will help your eventual transition uh, post fi even more uh, and having a little time or believing that you have to take more time will actually enable that. Yeah. I mean, you know, here's the conflict for me, Jay. I, I mean, yeah, of course I want to explore all avenues of creativity. Like it's, it's what I love doing and I love yeah, having the, the freedom <laughs> to choose what I work on each day. Um, but I, I also in my mind say, okay, well the work that I'm doing right now that's the thing that's sustaining the savings rate that we can, that, yeah, that's, that's helping us, you know, power the engine of reaching our goals. Cause you know, the fact that the number is further and further away, it doesn't change. Like it just makes the savings goals that much more aggressive. I just have to right. be more aggressive. So in some ways I have to double down on the successes of the business and just go harder. And that's the thing that when Laura and I are talking, I'm like, I just don't know how to go harder on some of these things, you know? Um, you know, the funny thing, but when we're talking about like client work, I, so I'm working on a presentation for this client that I'm working with right now. And I'm loving every minute of doing this, doing the graphics, thinking about the presentation, coming up with the look and designing things. And like, it's all super interesting to me. And I, it, in the moment that I'm doing it, it's, it's amazing. And with the right people, it's like, there's, there's almost nothing better. Okay. <laughs> But there is that, like, I know you experienced this with your job too, that, that the grind aspect of it that naturally comes along with it, that yeah. just, it's not like I can, you know, when we were talking to Doc G, he is like, shave away the things that you don't like in your everyday schedule. And just at, at a certain point, you're left with the things you do love. And I'm trying to, to figure out how I actually do that in a sensible way, um, because with client work, there's invoicing, right? There's, there's yeah. dealing with lawyers, there's dealing yes. with contracts, there's dealing with contractors, difficult people, you know, whoever it might be in the, in the building department, whatever, all those things like it come, the, the beauty of the everyday practice and the, and the design aspects of it, like it also comes with this shell of like <laughs> yeah. this crust of real difficult stuff. And, and again, I'm not, 
pretending to be a special snowflake here. I know everyone has this. Of course. And But how do I chip away that crust yeah. and keep the, the meaty center that I want to chew on all the time? I, I just, I don't know how to do it. I know, I know that's what you're proposing. Are there things, and maybe it's such a low percentage, it doesn't matter, but are there things you could farm out somehow um, in a way that would, you would still feel that you, the ownership that you have to have, I, I don't want to call you a control freak, but it takes one to know one. Um, <laughs> I am stuff that, you know, I, I know I am. Oh yeah. Um, so are there, is there, are there at least mundane things you could conceivably get off your plate? Yeah. Um, that would help you feel a lot better. I know there's, look, no one's going to be able to talk to, you know, the lawyer or the, you know, the, the GC perhaps than you, cause it's your project and yeah. it's not so massive that you have project managers working for you, <laughs> right. but are there, are there enough things that you could get some help in that would make it that much better? I don't know if that's yeah. a, even reality. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great suggestion. It's a reasonable suggestion and I'd be foolish to dismiss it out of hand. Um, yeah, I'm a control freak, man. Uh, do, does is it appealing to me? Thinking about hiring somebody else and training them and dealing like to me, it's just another layer of admin. It pulls me actually yeah. further away from the work. And so, if we're talking Got about it. reinventing, uh, I would be more excited about reinventing along yeah. the lines of okay, double down on my strengths, which I feel like are teaching, graphics, you know, taking photos, like yeah. somewhere yeah. in that domain um, feels more like it's pulling me, um, that would be more of a draw for me. Um, cause I feel like I still have knowledge that I can share and, Clearly. and maybe package it up in a way that could, you know, be, as you say, this glide path. I think, yeah, I think there's, there's definitely stuff there to dig into and it. And it, I guess one, you know, part of this conversation for me is like, it's not all doom and gloom. It's, it's there, there is kind of a light there and I just have to, always be looking for it. And, and, um, yeah, I, I've been reading the Tao Te Ching like every morning now mm, because okay. I'm trying to kind of recenter myself and, and focus on something bigger, something bigger than me. Um, because I think these money discussions and the, the focus on money can be really insular and, and negative and, you know, money solves money problems. Yeah. I love that quote. And it's so soon. true. It's just, yeah. you know, and I think that superficial focus on money, which is a lot of what this is, right? You're trying to meet a savings goal. You're trying to make your weekly investments or your monthly investments. You're trying to get the revenue for the business up, you know, and, and that heavy focus there keeps you from seeing other really yeah. important things in life. And, and I, I definitely <laughs> trying to figure out other ways to refocus and recenter so that it's not just always about, Oh my God, now the market's down again. And I'll, you know, last month's earnings are gone. <laughs> you know, that's cause you can look at it like that, right? <laughs> Temporarily. Yes. Yes. I know you have a, you have an ultimate positive bent, but I, I don't think everyone has that. No, they don't. Of course, I'm I'm cognizant of the fact that it feels very different 20 years from Phi to talk about buying on sale and you you know, you don't haven't lost anything unless you lock it in by selling versus nearing Phi and then post, right? Those situations are very different and the the way you emotionally react to them are different. Yes, your investments, your continued investments aren't gone, but you're seeing no obvious return on them. You're buying shares, but those shares are worth less. That's what you're saying. Um, and so it doesn't benefit you today 
to keep acquiring those shares. And you're going to keep doing it, of course. But that doesn't mean it feels very good to watch the number stay the same or go down. And this is the very risk. Like, this is the risk that you and I have been talking about since day one on our in our conversations, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. if you get to a point where you need that to rely on that, and your portfolio has the the risk on your portfolio has been dialed up so high, uh, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to manage that in some way. And there's a psychological component to that, and there's a you know there's a life reality component to that. Like if you actually planned on doing something at a certain date, well, you dialed the risk up a little too high, man. <laughs> I mean, if I kept it all in treasuries, that's another risk. You know, so it's like, of course it is. And, and that wouldn't have solved this either. Your yeah. portfolio would be down less, right? Maybe, maybe it's down 10% instead of uh, 18 or, or 19%, whatever it would be. Um, or somewhere in between if you were 50, 50, but it's still down a lot. And to your point, there are risks, other risks that come along with being an all fixed income, uh, especially longer duration fixed income. So no, there's, there's no free lunch and no one thing would solve this other than that proverbial pile of money, you know, that, that neither of us have. So you're relying on the market doing market things in a positive direction to deliver return. What, what advice and help can we offer to other people that are sitting in a similar position? A couple things come to mind. I guess the first, and this is, this is the easier one for sure, Eric, is for people that are much earlier on their journey, I mean, we've talked about retirement date risk a lot. It's a very real thing. And it's only in times like these that it becomes super apparent, right? For the last 12 years, we weren't having this conversation because bull market continued. Um, but it's a reminder to people who are much earlier that, hey, dates are only as good as the market's doing. You know, you can plan and plan and plan, but it's not set in stone. I also think like, you know, to continually revisit the number in light of a declining portfolio and, and try and talk yourself out of a certain level, yeah. you know, lifestyle or whatever your calculations that you've done, hopefully uh, under less volatile times. Um, you know, I would just encourage people to, to really think hard before doing that, before compromising on yeah. that, because this is a long-term decision that we're making here. And if you can, make small pivots in your life right now for the next year or two or three or whatever, whatever it ends. That's a, that's a small fraction of what your ultimate plan yeah. of retirement is going to be, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. Right. And right. a few more years is not, is nothing to lament. Um, if it can set you up for long-term success and I, I'm always that's trying right. to take the long view on it, but I also know, you know, how this feels. It doesn't feel good to be in this position. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, when you're broadcasting it to, you know, many people and that doesn't feel great either. You know, no. just being honest with you, you kind of failed, you know, I mean, I didn't, this wasn't in my plan obviously. And it doesn't feel good to have to rewrite the plan. Um, but I guess the bigger failure would be to step into retirement at a lower number and have to live a compromised life. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think that's an that's an excellent point. Uh, the, I think the only thing I would disagree with is the the selection of the word failed. You didn't achieve a date or it doesn't look like you're going to achieve a date that you'd set out 
you know, and we're very interested in, but it's not of any action taken or not taken on your part, right? The market is doing what it does. I think it's commendable that people continue to do the right thing as you have and continue to invest. And, and if there are ways to double down and are ways to increase your investing, well, that's great. That's a, you know, a privileged position to be in if anyone's able to do it, I suppose, you know, some practical things someone could consider, um, you know, if there were, you know, expenses you were considering taking on that could be pushed to the future a little like a, you know, a car replacement or some, you know, nice to have work on, you know, your house or something. And it's, you know, not something that's deleterious right now. Well, not a bad idea to wait because when that market inevitably returns, now you have, you have bought even more shares. You're saying sale. redirect, redirect funds that yeah. you would have spent on increasing lifestyle or, you know, yeah. some big purchase. Yeah. Redirect if that, that makes, to investments. If that makes sense to you. Yeah. I mean, to our earlier conversation, right. Only you get to set that priority of trying to, you know, bring the date in as much as you can versus, you know what, I'm going to take some lifestyle decisions. I think just like we're not in a position to give financial advice, we're not really in a position to give lifestyle advice either. I think people need to be true to themselves and their families about what's important and just try to make the best decisions they can. I am at least very happy for you that you didn't pull the trigger on your RE and the next day or within a month, the market just collapsed because that's a very and, and surely that has happened to some people. Yes. Right. Yeah. And that's a really scary thing. And I really feel for those people. And I hope they're doing OK. Uh, and they've been able to adjust and react. Some people have gone back to work. I've seen reports of that. But, you know, whatever your plan turns out to be i i know we'll talk about it and i look forward to it and i'm sure that you know as earnest as you are about what you're feeling and doing people will learn from it and it'll be you know great to share that with people and you know i wish you guys all the best yeah thanks man i appreciate the advice and if there if you are in a similar situation here uh to me and my wife I'd love to hear in the comments um i'd love for you to go to the youtube channel if you're listening to this on the podcast and write some comments. Like let's make this uh, kind of a little support group here. Um, I can't yeah. be the only one facing this and I'd love to hear what other people are doing and how they're reacting and how they're coping with it because I know it's not easy. Um, and I know sometimes I have a stronger negative bias than, than other people. And I feel like in some ways that keeps me safe and that keeps yeah. me prepared and protected. Um, but I also know there are some downsides to that. So, um, yeah, I just love to hear from other people and, um, yeah, maybe we'll get you on the show. Maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll talk to you and find out how I can correct my plans based on yours. <laughs> there we go. Drop a super chat. <laughs> <laughs> you too can help us get to help me get yes, to my fine number. With every $5 super thanks, we can get there. That's right. <laughs> Join us as the conversation continues next time on Two Sides of Fi. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating it at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For show notes, resources, and links to the video version, please check out our website at twosidesoffi.com. Two Sides of Fi.